0: Hey, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Soy Chingona podcast. I am your host, E. Marie, um, and I have a special guest today. Um, Mohammed is someone that I've been following for a while in the community, and I'm very excited to get to know um, your story and what you're all about. So, um, Mohammed, I would like to start with you telling my listeners um, who you are today. What makes Mohammed um, the person that you are today?
1: Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Um, it's an honor to be here and to talk with everybody and share a little bit about my story. Um, my story is one that is very similar to other people in the sense that, I mean, I'm, I'm an immigrant to the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, my uh, father came here when he was young, um, uh, in his early 20s, to start working, providing a better life for himself. And then after that, um, you know, he met my mom and they got married, and she came, and then she came here and, um, You know, after we were born in Egypt. Um, But, you know, I came here at a young age and it was very difficult for me to balance how to, you know, assimilate to American culture and still keep my roots alive within me, Um, which is still a struggle that a lot of people face every day, you know, especially in today's world. but uh, you know i am who i am today because of the things that i went through in life and because of my experiences in life today
0: right and what do you do um i know you are a educated person and i know that you have a lot of educational background can you tell me more about that what you're Mm -hmm. doing today
1: sure so um I went to undergrad. My undergrad. I got my undergraduate degree at La Salle University, which is in Philadelphia.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so I grew up a majority of my uh, life in on the East Coast in New Jersey, and that's yeah. kind of where I went to school. Um, and after that, I moved to Philadelphia when I went to college, and mm-hmm. it was actually that experience that I uh, attribute my like a complete turnaround in my life, and my entire sh- viewpoints shifted, and just. Um, it was a very big turning point in my life, moving to Philly um, and experiencing life there. Uh, and then after that, I um, got my bachelor's degree in psych- well, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, I had a minor in leadership and global understanding, which oh, nice. is one of the uh, the programs at the university that also contributed to a lot of the social justice values that I hold today. Okay. Um, and then after that, I uh, decided to move to California, to San Diego, where uh-huh. I'm now pursuing my doctorate in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's been a long journey, but it's been yeah. one that's been very rewarding and full of so many opportunities, many disappointments, many successes, and, um, and everything has a, a special meaning, you
0: know. Right. And, um, you know, I definitely the first thing I really want to touch upon is um, being an immigrant on the East Coast compared to here. Now Mm -hmm. I've been born and raised in San Diego, right? Right. So Immigrant stories, one, were very far fetched from me because I lived in the border town San Isidro, right? So immigrants were older people, were my grandparents, my great grandparents. Right. So I was very detached from that. Right. Um, when I speak to people that come from other states, um, I have a good friend of mine, Christina, and um, from She Grows, We Grow, and she's from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that immigrant stories in Chicago are so much more newer mm. right than they are here when she came to San Diego right. um, what's the difference that you experienced being somewhere on the East Coast compared yeah. to out here
1: well the one thing that I'll say is that um, living in New Jersey I was very close to the city of like New York City yeah. and so many people that arrive as immigrants to the country arrive through JFK Airport right um, so one thing I'll say is that when my, my father came to this country um, there was there were not established Muslim communities on the East Coast at that okay. point. There were no mosques, there were no schools, there were no commu- like very like strong communities in the East Coast, and that developed over time throughout mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s and the 90s. Um, and so f- for many immigrants at that point coming to the United States, it was really about how do we foster a sense of community, and so that's where community started to emerge. Uh, mm-hmm. The Muslim community started to emerge on the East Coast. Um, we see that many immigrants, uh, you know, on the East Coast are specifically South Asian, are uh, Middle Eastern, North African, yes. um, and the reason why they come often is for is to seek better financial opportunities. Um, Little do they know, however, that life is very difficult in America, it's not very easy, you know, in in our countries, in our home countries, many people have this viewpoint that Americans are very um, enriched, privileged people, which they are, um, but they also sit on thrones and live in palaces and have, you know, it's this this, um, American dream mentality. Where the truth is that when you come here, you re- quickly realize that the system is not set up for people like us, people of color, right. to be able to succeed in this society, um, and so uh, many of the immigrants uh, often face many difficulties, hardships, financially, socially, culturally, um, and they uh, and they really struggle with that. And that and then so, but however, that's where the importance of the mosques and the and the um, religious communities come in, the Muslim communities, the Christian communities, specifically just the um, faith-based organizations that mm-hmm. were that started to emerge was to foster that sense of community, to, to help, help people feel like there is a place they can go, right. to feel like they're part of something, that they're part of their culture is still alive, that they're right. not lost in this big world, you know, in this big country. Um, and so, you know, many so many of the immigrants on the East Coast experienced that for me, myself, um, it's you know it's it's that constant battle financially and you know where our parents struggle and we learn the values of how to uh, cope with all that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and the importance of family and the importance of sticking together. Um, we see a lot of you know for me for example I experienced a lot of bullying in high school and middle school um, and it could be attributed to many reasons but mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is that people there. On the East Coast, that had privilege, had money, had wealth, um, did not understand the struggle of being brown, of being black, of being an immigrant, of being poor. You know right. all of these barriers that, um, or those you know identities that we have. Some of the people didn't understand those, and so a lot of people struggled. You know, for me, for example, I struggled in school. You know, trying to fit in, um, and so many immigrants, and then many. Uh, immigrants children also face similar similar struggles as well
0: right and then coming out to san diego do you see that same struggle i mean you're out in the community and you know you're very well connected with the people that are here Do you see the same thing happening out here in San Diego and the West Coast? Is it very similar for the immigrants?
1: I think that at this point here in San Diego, I see a little bit of a difference in the sense that, I mean, we all have similar struggles. It's similar to trying to fit in, you know, trying to feel um, included within this culture or trying to at least assimilate in some way or... um, or trying to feel like we fit in. The problem is that here in San Diego, since we're so close to Tijuana and so, so close to Mexico, there's a very different dynamic. Yes. And uh, you see you see the um, the disparities in health, you see the disparities in finances, in, in wealth, um, literally through like a border. It's right there, you see it. Um, and for here, from what I've seen, many people struggle um, in schools with bullying, for example, you know, we've been to um, schools in Chula Vista and San Isidro trying to advocate for kids that have been bullied in the community. Right. Um, and so, although the the stories of the immigrants, uh, I mean, they have similarities and they have differences, right? Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they're pretty similar in the sense that people struggle in the same ways. People have similar um, concerns and similar worries. Most recently, when we think about Um, Since we are in a border town, when we think about uh, the migrants that have been coming to try to seek asylum here, Mm back in the in the 70s and 80s when our parents were coming or when the first wave of migrants those migrants were trying to come it was a little bit much a little bit easier of a process to do that now um immigrants are vilified are, they're, they're seen as villains they are seen as um criminals and right. they're criminalized and so when you think about the people that are trying to seek the same opportunities that If you think about it, uh, the colonizers that came to America back in the 1700s, the 1600s, they also were seeking better opportunities. They were facing religious persecution in Europe. And so they came here trying to seek a better life for themselves. It's the same exact thing. The only difference is skin color, right? And so when we think about through generations, through decades, through centuries, how the same, um, it's the same struggle, yet at the same time, uh, people of color are experiencing the same exact or even more issues. It's it's like immigration has not seen any sort of improvement yes. within the last you know. It's gotten worse. It's gotten worse exactly. Right. And the only difference is now you could you could sit and talk all day and all night about civil rights and you can say mm-hmm. about how the civil rights movement was was crucial and it was it was a very important part of the history of this country. But if we think about it, what did it accomplish other than uh, you know having people see uh, people of color as equals, which is right. very important. The truth is that all of the racism, all of the hatred, all of the bigotry never went away. It's still here,
0: right.
1: it's still present. The only, the only thing is that it's been swept under the rug. And now you have a president who's been vilifying immigrants and, yes. and criminalizing uh, you know, uh, migrants, calling them illegal aliens. Aliens, you know what I mean? And so it's that sort of uh, rhetoric that is really uh, It's it's I mean it's 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 it's, people are experiencing even more issues because of the rhetoric that's going on right now because of the policies that are set in stone that are coming out from this administration. So it's not only now. So right now they face not only issues of you know trying to fit in or bullying or things like that. Now they have an even more added layer, which is people around them and the hate that they're experiencing that they're 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 being targeted
0: essentially. Right, and I really feel too um, that there's this. When we talk about people of color, and we talk about immigrants, um, I really feel like there's this huge disconnect with people that are not people of color, that are from other countries where they're lighter skinned, mm-hmm. and they are even detaching themselves to what an immigrant is. Um, I had a friend of mine that was at work, and she was um, speaking Spanish to another colleague. And um, she had a woman, a coworker that was from France. Mm -hmm. And she got upset with them and said, I need you guys to stop speaking Spanish because I don't know what you guys are saying. Mm -hmm. Right. And she (laughs) looked, my friend looked at her coworker and she was okay, but I hear you speaking French all the time to your husband. Well, that's different. Why? Right. Why is it different? Why is that so different? Because I look brown and you don't. We're both immigrants. We're both from a different country coming here. Our families both seek the same thing. But why can't you associate yourself as an immigrant? Again, because of what... An immigrant is looked at now by society right Right. and like what you're saying like there's just this huge thing of you know immigrants being the criminals and being you know the rapists and being the the drug yeah yeah, Yeah. and they're the reason why drugs are here Mm -hmm. Um, let's focus on them bringing drugs into this country instead of the country's problem with the drugs that are already here here, made here right right? Right. so there is like I do see more and more this disconnect Mm -hmm. from other people that are from other countries yeah. coming into that same, you know, thing. Um, I wanted to ask you if you can explain to um, the listeners what exactly is muslim what um is your practice and kind of dig a little deep into that because i feel like that's another thing that is very fearful Mm -hmm. for people um like i was saying before we started recording they hear that word and it's almost a trigger for them and i don't understand why it's such a trigger yeah
1: so if we think about it um or if we examine the word islam right That is the, Islam is the religion that I practice. It is the religion that many millions and millions and billions of people around the world practice every Mm -hmm. day. So Islam is uh, a word meaning peace. Um, It is, it's actually, uh, it means peace. And so who I am, what I identify as Muslim, and Muslim is like, that's my identity, is I'm a Muslim American. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you think of the word Muslim, that means submission. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about those. So submission to God. Right. Um, uh, religion of peace. Um, you know. Yet many people think or hear of the word Islam or Muslim, and immediately what pops into their head is terrorism. What yeah. pops into their head is terrorists. What pops into their head is hate, oppression of women. Many things that are not actually the case in, um, in modern day societies. And so. Myself as a Muslim American activist, I am very, very involved in the Muslim community, and one of the things that I think is very important is, is the mentoring of our youth, our Muslim youth. And the reason why is, as we were earlier talking about, immigrants, our youth face bullying on a on a daily basis in their schools, in their homes, and, and even in the Muslim times, like in the in the faith-based communities and organizations that we practice in. Um, and the truth of, and, and, you know, the truth is that. When I was going to school, I was bullied because of my faith. I was bullied because I'm brown. I was bullied because I am different, right? And no one understood that. But if we think about it, where do the bullies get this notion that Islam or Muslims are terrorists, are, are bad people? It's because of the rhetoric that they hear on the media. It's because of what their own parents and what their own families have ingrained in them growing up. Um, and it just seems that ever since nine eleven happened, you know, hate crimes have have escalated against Muslim Americans. I so right now, since I'm I'm doing my doctorate in clinical psychology, I'm actually writing my dissertation. is is focused on the experiences of Muslim Americans that are currently living in Trump's America in the era of Trump. And um, in in kind of looking at the literature and the and the research that has been done, um, we see that there's been a spike in hate crimes ever since nine eleven happened. The notion that people see this or have this idea of what a Muslim is supposed to look like or what they look like. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, a Sikh person, um, which is a a community uh, that is not Muslim, Um, it's it's a different religion uh, or a different religious uh, group, a man was murdered right after 9-11 happened because folks assumed that he was Muslim. And so you have that that detachment right there where people assume or think they know what a Muslim is supposed to look like, what a Muslim is right. supposed to act like, what a Muslim man is supposed to do, what a Muslim woman looks like. and. The problem is that it's all wrong. It's 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 all um, rooted in hate and fear, right. and that's the problem. Fear. Ugh. And that's the problem. And so, um, so so for example, many people have this notion. Oh well, aren't Muslim women oppressed? Aren't Muslim women second-class citizens? And I invite those people to. Um, to think about how many Muslim women have been heads of states in the in in, in in the Middle East and in that region in the Eastern region, and how many presidents have have been president in this country, how many how many women presidents have been president for, right. of America, right? Uh-huh. How many times do you hear someone say, "A woman president, I don't want that." right Right here in this country, right Right here in this country. And think about how many heads of states and how many uh, Muslim women have been leading already, right? Or Middle Eastern women have already been leading in the Eastern world. And people don't think about that, right? The other day I heard someone say, aren't women in Egypt second-class citizens where they're not allowed to drive? And that's absolutely not the case. You know, In fact, Islam was one of the religions that when, when, when it was first introduced in the world, the prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, um, was the person that advocated for women's rights. He advocated really? for, yeah, oh absolutely, he advocated for women to have the same rights as men. He was a feminist. Think about that, feminism, right? We think about feminism as it's the equality of men and women, uh-huh. right? Uh, unfortunately, there was never the notion that we should include black women in that or people of color in that, right? Or or um, the LGBT community in that, right? right? Trans women, uh-huh. for example, and how they're seen as less than, you know? Um, and so the truth is that when we think about intersectional feminism, mm-hmm. that's what I think of, you know what I mean? It, and and unfortunately there is, there is that notion that people, um, again going back to, to Islam, is that people see women as second class citizens when in fact, people might see the hijab, which is the headdress that Muslim yes. women wear, as a as, as a form of oppression. When in fact, for many, many women, it's a sign of empowerment. It's a sign of reclaiming our story. It's a sign of, it's a sign that of- That
0: just gave me chills right now. <laughs> like it really did yeah. because that that is so powerful mm-hmm. that, you know, For my listeners to hear that and listen to, because like I said, when, when you're fearful, right. you're scared of getting educated exactly. on the things, right? Mm-hmm. And so you just start thinking of all these things that people around you say, right. and then you come with a, up with all these assumptions of yeah. who these who people are. are.
1: And that's one of the main things that I often uh, run into in my work is people come to me, and often it's not about having a conversation. It's about how do I find the most suitable way to attack you because I want to, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't believe in what you believe or I don't identify with your culture or your religion or your identity, right? Mm -hmm. And in those moments, I asked those people, have you ever spoken to a Muslim American in your life? Have you ever stepped foot into a mosque before? Have you ever picked up the Quran, the holy book, and read it in context, and the answers are usually no, right. right? And so I invite them, I say, I invite you in this moment to come with me or speak with a Muslim American woman, speak with someone who is part of the religion, who has who identifies with that? Instead of having your own biased assumptions about who they are, who we are, who I am, who, identi- who I identify as, speak with us, talk to us, learn more about us, right? Yes. People are afraid of sitting down and having an open and honest conversation or a dialogue because of the fact that they are afraid of being um, criticized, or not criticized, but being um, proven wrong. You know, right. like having that, like you said, those those difficult conversations uh, um, are hard because all of what their entire existence is based on is those notions or the, those ideas that they have been ingrained with, right? And it's hard for them to challenge their own beliefs. It's hard for them to challenge their thoughts, what they grew up believing, especially when what they're seeing in front of them is a complete opposite of what they were taught their whole
0: lives. Right, and that's where we come into like conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. And learning Like in, for us and, and our generation is learning all these things that we were conditioned to believe, right? right? And I question, uh, I mean, I've always been raised to question everything in my life, but that didn't mean that I was open to really understand right all right. these things that I'm questioning or right. have a conversation with someone like you. Yeah. You know, and that's why I reached out to you because mm-hmm. I was like, wait, I've never sat and had this conversation. So if I haven't, how many people are out there that right. haven't been okay with doing yeah. the same thing? Yeah. You know. Um I want to ask you um when it comes to religion um my mom had a conversation with a gentleman um that was she lives out in lemon grove and she was at the grocery store and some guy had randomly actually came up to her and um was kind of giving my mom like i don't know what you would call it but sort of like a reading where he went up to her and he was like hey, I see that you're really holding on to something that you need to let go of. Mm -hmm. And very randomly, my mom was like, I don't know who you are. You're making me feel comfortable. And um, the guy continued, and he was like, you know, I really really pray for you, and I hope that you are able to let go whatever is in your heart. And my mom said, oh, well, yeah, um, I pray to God. And he was like, "Oh, well, that's great for you." So my mom's telling me the story, and my mom said, "Oh, he was a Muslim man," Mm -hmm. and she goes, "I think I offended him." And I said, "Why would you think you offended him?" She goes, "Because I said God. He doesn't believe in God." And I just looked at her, and I can't like, and I don't know enough to like have that conversation Mm -hmm. with someone like my mom. But I sat there like, oh mom, (laughs) like, there's so much about this world that you don't understand. Um, Can you touch base on that? Um, Yes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay.
1: So let's – so it sounds like what you were saying is that – so this man was – so it's – okay, so let's let's kind of break this down a little Mm -hmm. bit. So um, the word Allah Mm -hmm. in Arabic translates to God, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, many people believe that – that they're different. It's a different entity, right? It's a different uh, different thing. The truth is that it's the same. It's the same exact thing. We may have differences in some of the beliefs that we may have as Christians, as Jews, as Muslims, as Mm -hmm. as Sikhs, as Buddhists, but the truth is that um, we, you know, Muslims, Christians, and Jews believe in the same God. We have the same God, right? The only difference, I would say, is like Christians believe in the Holy Trinity or they believe that Jesus um, is the Son of God, whereas we believe that Jesus is a prophet of God, you know, okay. that he's not the Son of God. Okay. Um, so, but but it seems like a lot of other things are very similar in our beliefs, right? Yes. In our religious beliefs. In terms of what happened with your mom, many people have this, as I like to call it, this ability to see beyond what the person is experiencing, right, mm-hmm. or what this person is putting out into the world, um, it's one of the reasons why I love doing therapy and psychology. Actually, um, when when someone knows, um, or when someone is secure in their own values and in their own beliefs, yes. they're very comfortable in in the ability to go to someone, have an open conversation with them, or at least. Um, See past the um, difficulties that they're facing, right? right? To have a conversation with them and 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 op- try to open up their hearts, right? It's not really a religious thing. It's more of a of a human thing, I would mm-hmm. say, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, Muslims believe in God. Absolutely, we believe in God. We believe in prophets. We believe in um, in uh, in in the holy book, which is the Quran, right? Uh, so, the, so yeah so Muslims believe in God the only thing is that we as as Arabic speaking we are soon as we speak Arabic Arabic mm-hmm. is the is the language that um, that Islam was brought upon in the world and mm-hmm. the Quran was written in Arabic you know and so instead of God we say Allah
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know um, Coptic Christians in Egypt so Coptic Christians um, they're enti- if you think about it they're they're they uh, are their um, experiences or their, when they're in church, their their sermons sometimes are in Arabic. And how do they refer to God or in, in, in Coptic, in Coptic Coptic Christians, how do they refer to God by saying Allah? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And in fact, you know, I work with, um, Many Chaldean. the Chaldeans and okay. Chaldeans are um, Iraqi Christians, right? Yes. Christians from Iraq. And yes. so it's the same exact thing. It, they don't call God God in Arabic, right? The, right? the Arabic word for God is Allah. You know, we say Allah, like, which is may God be with you, you know, if we translated mm-hmm. it to English. Um, and so it doesn't really matter if you are uh, a Christian, a Catholic, or a Muslim. In Arabic or in the Arab world, Allah is Allah, it's God. You know what I mean, and many people often confuse that notion that they yes. believe that, right. that God is different than Allah. You know, right. um, when, in the, when in reality it's the same. It's the exact same, except it's just a different or a translated. It's the translation of the word God in Arabic.
0: Right. It's just again those those disconnection, right, of mm-hmm. your understanding of what that person is, and it's just like in that conversation with my mom, it just really tripped me out because I was like, wow, you. And I couldn't go deep with my mom and have a deep conversation about it. But in my head, I just kept thinking like, Wow, what else do you think hmm. like when you look at that person like if you think like when he says one thing It means another and it just it just brought up all these other things, right. you know And this just happened a couple days ago So it made me even more excited to sit down with you right and get mm-hmm. these these clarifications yeah. um, tell me a little bit more about your activist um, Work um, in San Diego how you got started sure. and involved in it. Sure.
1: So um I believe that you know and i never thought about this actually until very recently but my activist roots were really brought on by my mom and her sense of empowerment in herself and just in life you know as i grew up thinking about our experiences growing up um i often saw how much she struggled but yet she was such a fighter she's so resilient and still to this day you know i talked to her and i often. Try to you know remind her of how resilient she is, and she yeah. has been. You know, um, but it's 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 interesting because the word resiliency, it's not something that you can explain in Arabic. It's something you feel. It's something that you have to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when I was younger, I remember like going to process protest in Palis- uh, for Palestine, you know, in Washington D.C. and in New York City. Um, I remember going with my with my family at a young age. You know, um, I remember how annoyed I was at that point because I was like, I just want to go home and sleep. But the truth is, I didn't realize at that moment that, but that it planted a seed in me yes. of the importance of civic engagement and the importance of fighting for your truth and fighting for your values and fighting for what you believe in, right? Um, as I grew up and I experienced a lot of this bullying and this racism and this hatred and this discrimination and this prejudice and all of those things. It never it never clicked with me that it was because of society I was very blinded I grew up very blinded to the inequalities that are going on in this world I was just very blind to it I was not exposed to it at all you know I grew up in a home in in, in, in New Jersey in the suburbs and you know um, and I went to school you know uh, relatively middle class you know mm-hmm. and so I didn't really experience a lot of the the financial um, traumas or struggles that many people in this world ex- faced it wasn't until I got much older that I started realizing actually, that's why I was saying when I moved to Philadelphia, it was a turning point in my life because it was at that moment when I saw the poverty in Philly, when I when I went through and I started working with communities of color and seeing the, the discrimination and the racism that is still alive in this world, I realized that I was, I grew up very blinded to the inequalities of life. And that was when Everything was just, it just clicked right. for me. It just clicked, yeah. right? I it, I realized the importance of fighting for the rights of women. I realized about the importance of, of seeing women as equal. And this is all, these are all things that were um, taught to me by my mom. You know, those mm-hmm. seeds that were planted in me by my mom, by my religion, by my faith, respecting women, seeing women as my equal. Um, that, uh, and so as I w- was going through college, I realized that, you um, one of the things that I was involved in in college was um, developing an organization which um, started changing the the way that sexual assault on college campuses were viewed and looked at. So it was titled mm-hmm. the Title IX laws were changed um, at that time, and it was about how do we deal with um, sexual assault? How do we raise awareness about it? Um, how do we raise awareness about victim blaming and slut shaming? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we dismantle that and start? Seeing uh, or start kind of um, developing this notion on campus that there needs to be a mutual level of respect and honor and 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 um, just respect to people, right. right? When when we hear the word no, it is a full sentence. No, absolutely, and that's what, something that you know we needed to raise awareness about consent. Consent. Um, we're getting off topic, but the point <laughs> is the point is that. Um, so I really started. I started all that work in college. Also, uh-huh. I. Um, you know, we established the very first Muslim student association in, so La University is over 150 years old, right? Um, established in the 1800s by the Christian brothers. It has never seen the presence of a Muslim student association, even though LaSalle has one of the most visible presence of Muslim students in Philadelphia. Really? You know, and so we live in Northeast Philly, the schools in Northeast Philly, we have a very large presence of a Muslim community in Philadelphia. Many Muslim students go to LaSalle University, yet when until I got there, until the Muslim students on that were that we that I worked with to establish the Muslim Student Association got there, um, there was not a strong presence of a mutual or a very collectivistic um uh just community where Muslims felt that they can come and enjoy the presence of one another and feel that they belong to a sense of community, a sense of culture, a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And when the university first heard that we wanted to establish a Muslim Student Association, they were a little hesitant. They were kind of like, well, tell me how we're gonna get funding for this, like all Mm -hmm. these things, right? And it was very simple for us. I was determined to make sure that by the time I graduated from Salle, that that Muslim Student Association was gonna be up running and and stable. And it was, you know? And something that I still speak about Proudly, and that I'm so proud of, and it's not just me. You know, the truth is that we had many, many people play a role in the establishment of the Muslim Student Association. Until this day, they just had their Islamic Awareness um, Month events. This the, in the past two weeks, you know, and I'm wow. very proud of them because they're they're talking about things that are taboo, like you were saying, mental health awareness, right? The um, Muslim women, right? Yes. Uh, I remember that when we when I was there, we had an event that. Um, that talked about the empowering of empowerment of women, right? Are Muslim women oppressed or empowered? Why do you believe that Muslim women are oppressed? Right? right? And what is and, and where do you get this notion from? Have you heard it from a Muslim woman herself? you know and see these are all the difficult conversations that we were talking about that people are afraid to address right. um, and so th- that was also one of the turning points in my life and I see, I saw the importance of developing that sense of community at La Salle and till this day I'm very proud of them because I know that the legacy that we left for them there is still there that's, and it's going that's to that's the
0: word that kept popping into Ooh. my head right now when yeah. you were like describing this I was just like wow how powerful was that that you guys were able to come together as a community and create that legacy that's still going and still growing and still being so powerful and setting up the next generation. Right that's coming into that
1: right and you know and it's interesting because many of the schools in philadelphia um have had muslim student associations for for i mean maybe 20 30 40 50 plus years you know Mm -hmm. they they, they've been much more established they have more involvement you know and thinking about establishing a new organization on a college campus can be daunting right? right but especially when it has some sort of religious significance but if you think about it lasalle university is a catholic university and no one could ever fathom that a muslim student association could be established. established on a Catholic university's campus where people started learning. And and up to the day I graduated, I was hearing people come up to me and tell me how important this Muslim Student Association is. And the reason why is because one of our main goals, one of my main, like the missions that we had, the mission that we had was to 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 remove stigma about what Islam and Muslims are all about, right, mm-hmm. and to start having these conversations with people because um, that it's important for people to remove the misconceptions that they have about Muslims and Islam, right, and that is one of the main reasons why I felt that this was such an important cause. Um, when I was, uh, and so when I was when I was there. Um, I think in my junior year, it was, it was when Donald Trump started to announce his presidency or started to announce he was rallying he was gonna and he was gonna run, he was gonna run okay. right? And I remember sitting in my room watching some of the debates, watching the the um, his rhetoric that was taking place. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there in my room and thinking to myself, this is going to be the fight of our lives. The fight of our lives, like it is okay. not going to end here right Right. because how can we how can i sit back idly and allow someone like him with privilege with power uh that grew up in wealth and prosperity um just run rampant it what? rampant, right, in in um, using the terms that he was using and, and spreading the rhetoric and the policies or, or the things that he was saying about Muslims, about Mexicans, about about women, about people of color, about black people. I mean, it was just insane. It was it was getting to a point where it was like I was transported back, right, into the 1930s and seeing white supremacy unfold all over again.
0: Right. It did feel that. It, yeah. it literally felt like. This is what I read in my history books right. about civil rights. Absolutely. Like, how are we going backwards, backwards on it? Right. And then it started realizing how many people in my generation that were feeling um, almost empowered on the other side of Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. where and again like in our world of social media Mm -hmm. right um i started seeing people stick up for trump Mm -hmm. and people that i grew up with and people that i were very close with and it blew my mind because then again i started looking at it as if are you thinking for yourself and really looking at what this person is saying or are you really just going with the condition of what you've heard growing up Absolutely. and this is what your parents exactly. heard and this is what you know i was really shocked by um some of my neighbors um in the community that we currently live in and i went to high school in mm-hmm. um because there were literally girls my age that were sticking up for trump mm-hmm. and that were sticking up for everything he stood for but yet i would see them on the street and they would have a big smile oh hey Erica, right. how are you right. how are things going it bothered me so Absolutely. much because it was like all that yes. stuff you just posted on your social media you're talking, talking about, about me. me right and i don't think you're making that connection exactly. because you now have seen me as oh you're not like the people i'm talking about you're not right. one of those people right. but i am
1: but i am exactly i look
0: like them i act like them right. i represent mm-hmm. them i am and i started seeing that trend and so even though that this the trump and the administration has brought this evil that's always been there in America mm-hmm. right like from the, brought from the beginning yeah. and it rebrought everything up but right. in a way also I am I'm grateful because it brought out something in me mm-hmm. that made me want to get reconnected with my roots yes. made me want to get grounded maybe want to heal um, I've also talked to immigrants that said you know what Thank you, Trump, because I actually became a citizen so that I can fight against right. these things Everything that you, you brought for. <laughs> exactly. up. Exactly. So it was just this pool of like good and evil and what right. it brought out of people. So although yeah. I saw the evil that it brought out of people that I was dis- very disappointed and hurt by, I immediately started disconnecting mm. from those people mm. and started strengthening myself.
1: Absolutely, right in these That's fights. Truth, yes, that and that everything you just said is true, you know, and I remember, um, for me, like going through that time period where I was very disappointed in many of the family members that, um, or people that I considered as family, my friends that I grew up with, people that, you know, in my communities, even my own Muslim community that were supporting him, you know? Really? And you think about, that's where I was talking about, think about how you grow up and the privilege you grew up around, right? The type of things that you hear growing up, it really makes a difference in what you believe and what you value as you continue to grow, right? Yes. And at that point, you have to think about, are the people that are supporting Trump, supporting him for his policies or his record or because you know people were like, oh he's gonna make America great again. Well what does that mean?
0: Right. What is that
1: America was never great, you know? Well economically with the business and and all this stuff. Okay. But all you're
0: talking about now is money. So we're not talking about the people of America. Let's let's talk about
1: let's talk about um, income inequality, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about social injustice, right? Let's talk about uh, the incarceration of black people, how it's through the roof right now. Let's talk about how um, Flint still does not have any water, right? Let's talk about how yeah. there's no there's no access to mental health and physical health. Let's talk about homelessness. Let's, let's talk about so many other issues that are important that need fixing, not the fact that wealthy people need to become even more wealthy, right. right? So Donald Trump doesn't represent who the American people are. He represents the top 1%, right? Or the top even maybe half a percent, right? Because the truth is that when I would have these conversations with people that I went to college or they went to school with, All that they were focused on is let's build the wall, let's make America great again. They were wearing their red hats. What type of, so my question to them was what type of change, what type of policies do you think that Trump will enact that will benefit all of the American people, right? And at that point, that is when the conversations would turn into, well, you don't know what you're talking about get out of my face so they didn't turn into open discussions and dialogue they would turn into let's attack you because you have different beliefs than me because you don't believe in donald trump and you don't believe in this and you you don't believe in that and you know i'll tell you the truth it's on both sides it's not just the republicans or not just people it is on both sides of the aisle that this is happening um people just cannot have a discussion but i also understand the reasons why think about the the systemic injustice that has plagued this nation that has plagued people of color for their lives and the lives of their parents and those parents and Mm -hmm. their generational trauma that is just present and every single day right and so think about how why people of color are just do not have the emotional or physical capacity to sit down and educate someone, right? Because at this point in your life if you don't know that racism still exists, I don't know what to tell you. Right. Like, it's I mean it hasn't it's like right there in front of you. Like I have right? to
0: explain that to you? Right, like, right, right, exactly.
1: And so I remember feeling like Disappointed. I was very disappointed and hurt by the people in my life that I consider to be close friends of mine, almost family, that were supporting Trump. And that's just like you said, they didn't understand that by you supporting what he by supporting t- Trump, even if it's because you, you say, oh, because business is in the economy, right? You are still supporting and, and being uh, complicit to everything he stands for at that point, right. which means that you are against me, you're against immigrants, you're against women, yes. you're against people of color, you are like, you are just against everyone that is not white and rich right. at that point, right? Um, and so you cannot justify your hate, Your um, you cannot justify your love of Trump or your support of him just because of one thing, which is the economy. You have to start thinking about how it affects everybody. How does it affect people of color? How does it affect people that are poor? How does it affect farmers? How does it affect immigrants? How does it affect like children? You know, all these different, how does it affect health? You know, all of these things that play a role, the, the, the president of the United States of America is not the president for the economy. Economy. He's not just the president of one thing. He's right. the president of a country that has to deal with more more than one issue. Right. You know, and and that's the the, the um, thing that people didn't understand. You know, they and they weren't really at that point, willing to have these kinds of conversations. And I remember actually cutting a lot of people out of my life for that reason. I mean, it was yeah. getting to a point where it was like, like you said, it was becoming too emotionally toxic for me to deal with this, right? Yes. Every time I would post something, every time I would uh, I would be speaking at an event or at a rally or at a protest and my the speech would be on Facebook or on social media and people would be messaging me. I've gotten death threats, I've gotten hate messages, I've gotten so many different things from people that I know, not even just, I mean, I get it from strangers, but like right. people that I know also saying how I'm stupid, how I don't know what I'm talking, about how I'm the reason why Donald Trump's in office because 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 of people like me that don't you know that are not worth anything and you know and so hearing this this can <laughs> really impact your mental health but just like you said it's important because I realize that there is something greater to fight for yes. that there is something more important than just fighting to get Donald Trump out of office it's it's working in the system that was already set up like this right yes. he has unearthed the racism that has been swept under the rug for so many years and as a result of all of this he has gotten so many more people actively engaged he has gotten so many more people of color uh you know out to vote he because we see the effects of his administration on our communities right whereas with me like I was saying how you know growing up the seed of, of fighting was implanted right but I never had to be civically engaged or aware or you know I was just blind because none Nothing affected my community to the sense where I was like, it was affecting me personally. Mm -hmm. But as I grew up and I, you know, moved out of my parents' home and I started realizing the inequalities that are present in today's world, I realized that if I don't fight, right, and if I don't set an example for my siblings, if I don't set an example for my community, then who will? Right, that I have to be part of that change. I can't sit back and be like, someone else is gonna do it. Why do right. I have to do or it? Or, like,
0: that saying is like, okay, when your grandchildren are in right. school, right? right, and they're gonna read this stuff, History, and yeah. they ask you, exactly,
1: what were what, you doing? What
0: were you doing? Where right. were you? Where right. did you stand? Are right. you going to feel comfortable saying, right. I stood on away. this side of the yeah. administration, or I stood away right. and kept away from it? You know, and for me being a Latina, you know, every time I would go out and go to the marches, right, and mm-hmm. go to the rallies and stuff, and I started posting things and I started being vocal, right, and finding my voice in my community. Now I was labeled as "you're an angry Latina." Right,
1: right. Oh my God, absolutely. You're, and-
0: you're so angry, mm-hmm. and you know, there did get to a point where where I was angry. I was angry enough to do something Something about about it. So even though I was being judged Mm -hmm. as that angry Latina, you're sitting at home just scrolling through Facebook watching Mm -hmm. me and sending all this bad energy and just all this hate for what I'm doing, I'm actually out there doing something. And I would tell people from the other side, I don't see you out there. I don't see you out Breach. there giving me the opposing side. Right. I don't see you trying to educate me on why you feel this way about our administration or why you feel this way about certain topics. Something that was very difficult for me to understand is I was raised as a little hippie in San Diego um, and when Black Lives Matter really started hitting the streets and really coming to life and what that meant. and I didn't understand what that represented, right? Right. And like I said, I was very uneducated, Mm -hmm. right? But I was getting angry enough to start educating myself on these things. So Black Lives Matter come out and I start seeing people put all lives matter. Right? And at first I was like, Oh, I get it. Like they're saying and I thought me being like, oh, from a peace and love, I'm like, oh I get it. They're like trying to build peace and love for everybody. Mm -hmm. They're saying, and then my sister told me do you understand that that's taken away from what these people are saying? And then I started thinking even further when I know a lot of people that are um, police officers and when I started seeing their posts go up on Blue Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. then it really hurt me because I kept thinking, why would it be so wrong for a police officer to say Black Black Lives Lives Matter? Matter. Because then you're fighting against that fight saying, yeah, I represent the police department. Mm -hmm. Our police department shouldn't be treating people like this. We shouldn't. And if they do, they need to be recommended for it. And that's not what they saw. right? right? That's not what they were representing. And all that stuff started hurting. So now I'm trying to come from a place of love and compassion. right? And everything that I put out. And everything that I stand for. Mm -hmm. But it's still hard. It's hard. To do that. You know, absolutely.
1: (laughs) And it's hard because when you're so passionate about fighting for something that you believe in, right? What drives that passion? What What is something that drives what you value and your beliefs in life, right? That passion has to come from somewhere, right. you know? And it's the surfacing of, of social media, right? Videos on social media, it's no longer something that you hear about from other people word of mouth. Yes. It's something that you now physically witness on yes. the computer screen, right? And so it stirs up emotions in you. Mm-hmm. It stirs up emotions and you have to do something with that emotion, right? And so you could choose to actually be vocal about it, right? And say black lives matter, because why don't black lives matter, right? Why do we have to invalidate the community by saying blue lives matter or or, or, all lives matter, which is something that I wasn't educated about either, right? And so it had to take, it took me to be honest with myself and say, I need to sit down. need to have a discussion with somebody conversation with somebody and be open about it and just understand it from their perspective you know it's interesting because many of the way a lot of the ways that we live our lives is very much rooted in psychology and the theories that we study in psychology right so think about if we think about Carl Rogers which is one of the psychologists who actually came to the school that the graduate school that I'm you know studying at right Mm -hmm. now to lecture here and teach here um, is that he was a proponent of person-centered therapy or client-centered therapy and so what does that mean that means understanding the world from your perspective not trying to challenge the person and try to be like what about this side right what about that perspective no it's about trying to take steps in understanding the world from their point of view you know giving them validation you know unconditional positive regard allowing them allowing them the space to not feel like they're going to be judged by somebody right and so that is the way that i practice my my therapy in that way because when we think about um, the importance of helping clients feel like they are value that they matter you know mm-hmm. it's also about going out in the community and validating people's experiences saying black lives do matter yeah. okay it's not it doesn't mean that that police officers lives don't matter it doesn't mean that all lives don't matter right, no it, it, i
0: it, couldn't understand why they were right. taking that or even with the whole thing um of people kneeling Right? Mm. I couldn't understand how that even got turned into right. the people kneeling are against the military. That bothered yeah. me so much because I just couldn't understand where that began, where that started—that that was meaning that you were less American mm-hmm. than people that fought in the war because you decided to, to kneel. kneel, right? And it took away. It was almost like again distractions, right? right? To take away from why they yeah. were actually doing that.
1: And when we think about the people that have created change in this world, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, right? Um, and, and you know, and I just there's so many people, you yes. know, like right now currently, Linda Sarsour, you know. Um, there are people in this world that create change because they choose to be bold, daring, and unapologetic. Yes. Right. Um, Colin Kaepernick, when he started kneeling, right, people assumed he's an ungrateful American. Yes. He is against the military. Yes. He is this. He is this. And think about what would have happened if a white person had done that, or a person, and a person that wasn't a person of color had done that. it would have been completely different right
0: right? you know and i actually did see a photo and i wish i would have saved it because i don't remember where i saw it um but there was a photo in baseball in american history baseball Mm -hmm. where it was all white males that were on this team and kneeled because they wanted their one black player to play with them right and he wasn't allowed to and I don't remember reading that Bad in our history, history but exactly. Like, exactly. I, I right. was like when I saw that photo, right. I was like, "Where did it, where was this hiding?" Yeah, because yeah. I was never shown something like that or That's,
1: taught. Because history is so whitewashed in our schools. That's yes. the problem, you know. When I when I was in high school and was learning history and civil rights and all these things, we weren't taught the type of history that I know today. Right. right? We were told, "Oh, Christopher C- Columbus discovered America." Blah mm-hmm. blah blah. We never we were we were not told. Um, that the Americans came here, or the Europeans came here, and started massacring and and right. killing the Native Americans that were already here, right. destroying culture, destroying civilizations of communities, just you know, stealing people's lives, raping the women. We were not told that, right? So why not? Think about why we were, we weren't told that, because then people are growing up with this notion of what America is, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But the pro- so we think about what is America, you know. And when I think about what is America, I think of systemic injustice, right? I think of social injustice. I think of, in- of economic inequalities. I think of health disparities that yes. you know, affect people of color. I think of uh, uh, black, young black boys being beat up by police officers and their heads being smashed into the concrete just because they can't fight for themselves right? That is what I think of when I hear America. When you ask someone else, what does America mean to them? It is picnics and 4th of July and going to the beach and this and this. But people look at me and say, oh, you're too negative. No, see that's see right. and that's the problem. Is peop- is because I am socially aware of the injustice that yes. this that people of color experience in this country, it doesn't make me negative, right? It makes me just that socially aware. It makes me aware. So when I am aware and I am doing my best to educate people, right, if it's that if it's through social media, if it's through protesting, if it's through rallying, if it's through, you know, educational events, for example, mm-hmm. right? Um that at least I'm taking a step in dismantling some of that those problems, that patriarchy, that that historic injustice that has been present. I'm taking an active step or active steps in trying to dismantle that. What are people that are calling me negative doing? Ignoring it. Right. They are ignoring it. Right. And there's there's a quote. Ignorance is bliss. Bliss, exactly. It's right. like I don't. It doesn't affect me. Why do I? Why do I have to care about it? It doesn't
0: affect me. Right. right?
1: But the truth of the matter is that it's going to affect someone, somewhere, somehow and it's going to come right back to you,
0: right?
1: right? And the quote that I um, live my life by was is by Desmond Tutu, and it is, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. And I could never live with myself knowing that I have chosen the side of the right. oppressor just by being silent or complicit to the problems that affect people today in this right. in this world, right. right? But it's so powerful to think about. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor how could you live with yourself knowing that you have chosen a side of oppression, you know, where people across this world, across this earth have been oppressed since the beginning of time, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, since the beginning of time, how can you live with yourself knowing that you were one of those people? And as you were saying earlier, when your grandchildren, and your great grandchildren come to you and ask you, what did you do? Right? Where were you when this was happening? And you, you have a choice to make. You know, you have a choice to make. You we all have choices to make, you know, and it's not just about letting other people take care of it. It's about finding empowerment within ourselves to be active and be vocal and be aware enough to be able to spread um, knowledge and truth, Mm -hmm. you know, and having, like you said, these difficult conversations, these uncomfortable conversations are part of it. You have to sit down and hear people's truths. You cannot dismiss that. You you cannot dismiss black people and their and their struggles just because you believe that all lives matter. It doesn't matter if you're well-meaning or not well-meaning, right? Yes. You have to listen to them and their experiences and validate that because it is valid. It is very valid, right? right? But the problem is that people are afraid like I said to shake the foundations that they were that they live by. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to shake the the notions and the beliefs that they were taught growing up. So <laughs> so
0: much. I mean, it, it it is, and it's just you know. Um, I will tell you, um, I um, am in a mentor program um, through um, the Edmentitas program, and I have a mentee. We've been together. We're about to graduate from our schooling, um, a yearly schooling, um, mm-hmm. and we're on our th- ending our third year, about to go into our fourth year. She is a sophomore in high school right now, mm-hmm. and. We went to um, the March for Our Lives. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the photo that I had posted on Instagram the other day, um, that photo meant so much to us um, because we were right in the next row standing behind you guys. And it meant so much because my mentee, who's a Latina, um, Mm -hmm. turned around and she said, there's so many different looking kids my age that are here right now. That was so Absolutely. powerful to Absolutely. her to see that because she is in a dominated um, white area mm-hmm. where she lives, where's, where I went to high school also. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually goes to the high school that um, my husband and I went to. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't always get to see that. right? Right. And it was such a beautiful thing to know that these kids were the ones that wanted to make this happen and you were there to help guide them and lead them and it's so important and I get emotional thinking about that day because it was just a beautiful thing for us to be a part of and how did that come about with these kids getting together and you and the people that were involved, the other adults that were involved in, in helping them organize, but you guys had the most powerful little people that were yeah, talking we and really it did. was incredible. Yes. Tell me about that yeah, so experience. The March
1: for Our Lives was one of the most influential, most moving um I think experiences that I have ever been part of in my entire career you know being an activist or being you know um, an advocate anything in that mm-hmm. moment right the March for our lives wasn't just about fighting for um, sensible gun laws it wasn't just about fighting for the issue right it was about empowering the youth yes. of now not of not of yesterday or of tomorrow the, the empowering the youth of now to feel that they are just as important in creating change in this world just as any adult is yes. and just as any other person in this world is right? Yes. that they are active and that they have a voice to share as well and they have stories to share when we first started organizing the march for our lives especially in san diego we knew that it had to be a very different experience you know it wasn't just any other march that people were going to march in and then like go say bye-bye like and take their pictures yes it needed to be, <laughs> needed to be a movement of change yes. right and if you think about the power of the um of the survivors of of the uh, of the shooting you know in in florida and then the The organizers of the national march that emerged, Mm. these are all young people, high school students, right, that came out saying, we are more than what the media says that we are. We are not just kids. We are empowered. We're going to do something about this, Right. right? And it became a movement. It became a powerful, powerful movement. And when we first... We so we, we kind of uh, thought about this, and we were like, we can't just be organizing this as just any other march. We need to, we need to bring people to be involved in this, and young people, yes. young people. And as soon as we put out that call, you would not believe the amount of people, the amount of students that we got. We were we, we would have literally three or four different conference rooms, humongous conference rooms, full of different committees of or and groups of of young students organizing a different part of this um, wow. of this march. And I remember that when Natasha Salgado and I the student at USD and I were were out there you know advocating for this and and uh, leading the march and things like that you know I remember talking to some of the media and saying oh we maybe estimate like 10,000 people 5,000 people and when I looked at the, head, the the shots of the march after and I realized there were 40,000 plus people at that march I was absolutely floored. I was I was literally in shock, you know. And those photos that you were talking about that came out, it just demonstrated because you know demonstrated the power that we felt that day, yeah. the the inner power. And and like I was saying, there's a difference to me between um, empowerment and feeling empowered, right? Empowerment is when you feel like someone else gives you the power to be able to do something great. Yes. But feeling empowered is when you're able to. Um, to To empower yourself, to mm-hmm. feel like you can do it, to feel like you have the inner power to be able to take that microphone and 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 make a stand, right? And take a stand for something or for someone or 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 speak your truth, Just tell people your story, share your experiences, mm-hmm. right? So to me, my goal and our goal as organizers was to help the. Uh, those students develop, feel, like develop them um, their skills to be able to feel empowered themselves. Mm-hmm. So to be able to go back to their communities and their schools and their and their friends and their families and be able to continue those types of conversations and continue feeling that they're able to make this change. The march for our lives for many of these young people was like like for me how when I was growing up it was a seed and I and for them it was also yes. the planting of a seed yes. right and I would not be surprised because many of these young people came up to me and I still keep in contact with many of them and and, and very much follow their a lot of their progress um, on social media but many of these young people came up to me and were very open in saying this changed my life that this experience changed our lives. And the reason why is because now I see the importance of being involved politically. I see the importance of going out there and holding politicians accountable, Yes. right? Whereas mm-hmm. people, you know, when I was growing up, I was just, I, I was raised in in, in, a, in a group or, or in an environment where to me, a politician was a person that was white and that was rich, Yes. right? No one like me was working in in the United States Congress. No one that looked like me was in office. You know, mm-hmm. so I felt that no one represented me in growing up. I had no one in, in the politically, in, uh, you know, the political world that I can look up to, other than the activists and the organizers in our communities, mm-hmm. right? The, the leaders of our of our mosques, the leader of our of our re- religious groups, our, our our cultural organizations, our youth leaders, things like that. And those were people that were not really politically involved, right? right? And so now I'm in a position where I am, you know, I. I'm I'm very much in touch and involved with many of the youth in San Diego County, especially the Muslim youth, right? And it's for me, it's about not just um, uh, you know getting them to come to these events and these marches, but mentoring them in a way which allows them to feel that they are empowered enough to be able to continue doing this work, empower other people that are after them, and just continue feeling that they can be involved. And as we were talking earlier about Donald Trump and how more people are being more engaged, how can you figure that a Muslim American Hijabi Congresswoman is in office, Ilhan Omar, right? She's in in office right now, and she is facing death threats every single day, but she is speaking her truth every day, and she's out there speaking truth to power, and she's calling out injustice every single day. The same thing with Rashida uh, Talib, who is a Palestinian-American woman, right? You have the same thing with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as a Latina, as a very feisty, strong, empowered Latina, right? right? So those three women alone, right, alone, have shaken the foundation of what we What I grew up believing in They've shaken me They have inspired me You know And if they can inspire Somebody like me I cannot imagine How much inspiration Other people find in them You know And I And I really internalize A a lot of their struggles And a lot of what they face Every single day And I say to myself That that could be me one day And it will be me one day Right But the the important the, The important notion is Being able to To help others feel empowered And developing that notion That when the youth Are involved in an organization Or the youth get involved in a, in a group or in, a, in an event that they have just as equal as a, of, of a voice as right. I do as an adult yes. or as any other adult does yes. that their ideas are valid and they need to be respected yes. as such because if not then they grow up believing adults don't care about me why would I want to get involved in anything right. and that's, that's what suppresses people and oppresses people and so it's important, Like so like I said, the March for Our Lives was, wasn't just about a movement of, of fighting for the issues that we were fighting for, no. It was about shaking the foundation of these young people and what they stand for and what they believe in and allowing them to see that they matter that their truths matter, that they are valuable, and that they can really make a difference in the
0: society. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man, um, Well, we are coming to the end um, of this episode here. Um, what would you like to deliver? Um, what's your message that you would like to deliver to the listeners? What do you want to leave wow. them with? Um, you're all so well, much I mean, it's, you know
1: it's, it's, to be honest with you I think one of the most important things in life is seizing your moment right and the reason why I say that is because if you sit and wait for your moment to come it will never come Right? It will never come. Because you will always sit and wait and wait and wait. And there will always be right. obstacles in life that you will face that will continue to help you, I mean that will continue to kind of, to, 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 to want you to continue to wait, wait and wait. Right, But the truth is that many people feel um, that they do not seize their moment because they don't feel empowered to, because they, because they don't feel that they matter, because they feel that other people won't listen to them. They don't have the energy or the ability to feel that other people will, will take them seriously. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. my advice to everybody out there that's listening. Right. Is take the the time to feel what are or ask yourself, what are your values that you stand for in life? Right. What kind of a difference do you want to make in this world before you before you leave it? Right. Your right? legacy. Your le- what is the legacy you want to leave? And not just for yourself, but for many other generations that are coming yes. after you. Right. And whatever mm-hmm. that truth is, whatever that moment is, whatever that whatever that experience is that you want to accomplish. Do it and seize your moment. Don't wait for anyone else to try and empower you, or don't try for don't try um, to wait for anyone else to kind of push you to do it. You have to find the inner power to be able to do it. That inner empowerment, like I was saying, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just go for your dreams. You know, accomplish your values, your goals, and and understand that when people see that, they're going to respect you for doing something about your life, right? Yeah. For for taking your life seriously and for going out there and and and. Um, and seeking and seeking what you want out of life, right? Um, we can't just wait for 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 life to you know it's gonna pass us by. It's gonna pass us by. So take every opportunity in your life you know, uh, speak to people, talk to people, learn about other people, and you know what, and just seize your moment. Do it, you know? Other, because if Ilhan Omar didn't seize her moment, if Rashida Tlaib didn't seize her moment, if <laughs> Linda Sarsour didn't seize her right. moment, if I didn't seize if people don't seize their moments, then change will not come. Right? Change will not come. So it's important that we all work together as people, that we all work together as humans, that we all empower each other and one another, right? To be able to, to, to take the opportunities and seize our moments in life. And just be unapologetic about it.
0: Yeah. Unapologetic (laughs) about it. You know,
1: speak your truth. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about, you know, here's what, I think it's really important to know that, um, like I was saying earlier, people in life that make history don't do it by sitting, by staying silent and being, by being complicit. They go out there and they make change and they shake. They right. shake things. They're agent, they're agent changers in their communities, right? And they they shake the foundations of, of what this country is all about, right? Right? And that is what true democracy is. That, to me, is what being an American is, right? Um, is being able to speak out against injustice. Do it in a way where you're unapologetic about it. Speak your truth and don't ever yes. allow anyone else to shut you down for what you believe in because that is where we find empowerment within ourselves. Right? And we all have stories to share. We all have truths that we need to, to go out there and put out there in the world and
0: just do it. Yeah. Do it. I can't thank you enough yeah. Muhammad, for taking the time to uh, talk to me today and give me, I mean, you're you know, I have a fire, right? And I've always been a very fiery Latina. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes and uh, not sometimes, I mean all the time with creating a platform and this podcast, I need people like you to put that fuel in my fire, right, to keep me going and to keep me wanting to keep putting myself out there, wanting to share my truth and share the truth of others that are around me in my community and to be able to connect with someone like you is very special to me. You know and it's something that I do not take for granted Mm -hmm. you know so I appreciate you and your time I appreciate your energy and I appreciate what you are trying to convey out there not trying what you are (laughs) putting out there right let me take that try and let me back (laughs) up because you are not trying you are there and you are out there and you constantly put yourself out there in a very honorable, respectful manner. And I appreciate watching you Mm -hmm. and being able to see what you're doing on social media and now being able to personally connect with you on a different level is beautiful to me. So thank thank you so so much. much. Um, I appreciate that. And um, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Um, If you have any questions or concerns on um, the things that we talked about, I know we got really deep on a lot of different things. And if you want to learn more, um, reach out to me and I will connect you with Mohammed um, so we can answer questions um, because I know that this is going to be a lot for people to digest and really take in and understand. So take that time when you're listening to this episode, right? So thank you so much for being a part of this, Mohammed. Thank you you to the listeners. I appreciate it. And until then, fist up, chingonas.